Welcome to Viva La Volva, the podcast that explores and teaches about the goodness of the vulva. Here is your host, Dr. Kara Quant, an internal medicine doctor and advocate for female sexual health. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Viva La Volva podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kara Quant, and I thank you for joining me. Um, today is a solo episode, and uh, we are on episode seven. Hey, <laughs> uh, I am so proud of myself and continuing to do this because I will let you know that uh, there are times where I start things and then stop them, and I do it for unknown reasons, or I know what those reasons are. Um, but I think I just want to share that because it is not always easy, but I can tell you it is completely, completely worth it. And I want to get information out to people about Viva La Vulva, about empowering the vulva and for women or people with vulva owners to know the power that they have within them, the the seat of their throne that they are sitting on. So um, I am so happy that you are joining me. And I just want to, again, thank you for listening to the podcast. So today I am answering uh, questions. Um, I'm answering questions that we got from the first Viva La Vulva art exhibit that we did back in March of 2018. And uh, we did a couple panels that included sex therapists and um, pelvic floor physical therapists and um, OBGYNs and people that are um, experts in um, the that are experts in female sexual health. Um, and we brought them on and we had uh, questions that uh, we were able to answer. Then there are questions that we were not able to answer. So I wanted to answer some of those questions a year later, but it is going to happen. Um, answer some of those questions today. And we are also getting some listeners that are uh, emailing Viva La Vulva and asking questions that way. So um, I encourage everyone who is listening um, and that want to have a question answered by me um, or another of the guests, um, then please email us at info at vivalavulvala.org. Again, Viva La Vulva or info at vivalavulvala.org. So without further ado, let's get started. So I do want to remind you before I start the questions that these are anonymous. Um, so the um, people that uh, we had a question box and it was an anonymous question box and people just wrote on an index card a question that they had and put it in the box and we mix them up and we um, asked some of those questions to the panelists. Um, so uh, I unfortunately don't have those responses to the 
questions, but uh, I am answering them on this podcast. So I don't have a name or anything, uh, that, and I wanted to let you know that. And um, if you do email us, um, I will not put your name out there, especially if you don't want your name to be out there. So um, the first question is, what, if any, is the quantifiable change in a human physiology or specifically even neuro and chemical during and after sexual intercourse? And the response is yes, there is definitely quantifiable change in the um, in a person um, neuro logically and chemically um, that happens during and after sexual intercourse. Um, so I have so I have done a couple lectures on uh, the physiology of sexual function. And overall, um, there are a lot of, they are called neurotransmitters um, and a lot of hormones, um, which are essentially things in our bodies that can cause changes um, and effects in our body. Um, so there are definitely things that happen both in the brain um, or the central nervous system and in the peripheral tissue or the genitals. Um, because this is called Viva La Vulva, uh, we're, I'm going to um, talk mainly about women, but there are definitely changes for everyone having sex. Um, so those changes include um, estrogen and testosterone, um, progesterone. So these are all hormones um, that can affect your level of desire. Um, and talking in particular about desire, desire is um, the uh, want to have sex, essentially. Um, so these hormones um, do act a role in desire as well as excitement or getting uh, aroused. And there are also neurotransmitters that can affect the ability for someone to get aroused. And the main neurotransmitter is serotonin. So serotonin negatively affects both arousal and desire. Um, and it is a negative feedback, essentially. Um, so people, and the reason why I say that is because people that are on SSRIs or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors um, can be, their desire and their arousal can be affected. So um, the reason why I say that and the reason why it's really common is because many people have and suffer from depression and many of the medications that we use are called SSRIs, things like Prozac and Lexapro and all of these other medications um, can definitely affect your ability to get aroused and to get excited. And if you are that person um, who is on an SSRI, um, you can actually ask your doctor for or your provider for um, other t medications that can still help with your depression, um, but don't have the major side effects of um, low libido and low um, 
arousal or hard to get aroused. And it can also affect orgasm. So um, there is something called anorgasmia, uh, which is the ability to not have an orgasm. And that can also be affected by these medications, SSRIs. Right along. The other thing that can affect um, excitement is prolactin. And prolactin is also another hormone that is um, made in the brain and can affect, um, again, arousal. Um, So people uh, that have a lot of prolactin are women and they're lactating women. Um, That that helps with uh, making milk for the baby. And so prolactin can um, strongly inhibit or arousal arousal for a woman. Um, And the thing that can help, the other uh, neurotransmitter that can help with, or hormone um, that can help with um, other levels of sex um, is orgasm. So oxytocin, which is many people have heard as like the feel good hormone or the hormone that helps with, helps with bonding a baby to the mother. This is a hormone that uh, is usually important in orgasm. And that is one of the reasons why you feel so good after orgasm coming, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, is because you do release some oxytocin. And I do want to give a word of advice um, for people. I know that this culture now is the hookup culture. And, you know, there's Tinder and other apps out there that just allow you to very, allow you to very easily hook up and have sex with people on a regular basis. But I can tell you from personal experience, and I can tell you from experience of talking to people, um, in that there is, there is a time after sex where um, people can feel the most connected. And so that is why it's so important to spoon and to be close to the partner that you just had sex with. I mean, there are some people that don't want that to happen. They just want to leave straight after the sex. Uh, But it can be a very good time for close bonding. So yes, to answer the question, um, there are a lot of neuro chemical changes that happen in the body when, uh, during, before, and after sex. Um, and it is a real thing. And so the next question on this um, card um, is, is this something that should be researched more um, or what research has been done? Um, there are There is a lot of research that has actually been done in the area of hormones and deciding what hormones are secreted during what time. Um, and so what I told you is um, a combination of different uh, research projects that led to um, getting some information on what hormones and what neurotransmitters are um, secreted and produced during sex. And so moving on to the next topic, um, I wanted to uh, change something that I um, misspoke of in an earlier episode uh, with Dr. Maya Benitez and I, and I did, I gave a statistic and I said not to quote me, um, and that was true, didn't quote me, or don't quote me on that, but you could quote me now. Um, So uh, it was a statistic about herpes type 1 and type 2, and I said about 95% 
percent of the population has it. Well, it is not quite ninety-five percent. It's actually sixty-seven uh, percent of the population. Um, so that is according to the Centers of uh, Disease Control or the CDC, as well as the World Health Organization. Um, so the the statistic is people with uh, herpes type one, which is usually found on the mouth, um, that affects about uh, 67% of the population. And um, so it's it's more than half. Um, so a lot of people do have uh, cold sores and um, herpes on the lip. Um, and then in terms of the genital sores or herpes on the genitals um, or type two, um, more than one out of six people um, aged 14 to 49 um, have genital herpes. Um, so that is another pretty significant statistic. So just wanted to clear that up from a earlier episode with uh, Dr. Maya Benitez, where we did talk about sexually transmitted infections. Okay, so on to the next question from the panel. Um, how do you think our generation should go about educating topics like this? And I think the um, like this means topics around female sexual health. And I <laughs> want to say that I um, believe we just need to talk about it more. I mean, uh, I think people are so concerned and talking about sex in general. Um, a lot of people didn't get the the talk, quote unquote, talk from their parents. And so most of the time they got that information from porn or they got it from their peers who probably didn't know or knew as much as them. Um, so it is getting information out more um, like from this podcast, Viva La Volva. And there are other podcasts that have um, reliable information that's on there. Actually, the Science of Sex podcast is out there with Dr. Jana. Um, and there's a lot of people that are getting this information out, especially for women's sexual health. And I think, um, I know from my experience, when I did the panel um, and had many different people on again, um, sex therapists, OBGYNs. Um, I had artists on the panel. I had a period coach. I had, um, I, so there was a lot of people that I had that were experts in women's health in general. And um, what I saw was that there were many people, including men that came up to me and they were essentially saying that I have never heard this information before. Like they had never heard that information of um, periods and uh, that there are different times of the cycle that women can get more irritable and um, uh, just different things that can affect women or uh, people with a vulva. Um, are plenty. And I feel like a lot of that information isn't out there. So um, yes, this this podcast is helping and there are plenty of other podcasts and um, online information that is available. I will warn you that not everything on the, um, on the web is reliable. 
There are a lot of patients that come in to see me and they have said, hey, you know, I went on to Google and I looked this up. I looked up my symptoms and I essentially have cancer. And I'm like, what? Why did you look on Google? And yes, Google, Dr. Google can be a good source of information, but it could also be a very bad source of information. Um, so I will give you that warning and just say I am uh, I am wanting to or am doing my best at getting information that is reliable and uh, bringing on experts in the field of female sexual health that can talk to and educate people more about this topic, female sexual health, dysfunction, whatever. Okay, so the next question is, how do you teach your partner what you like how to make you orgasm quicker the way you can by yourself. Um, okay, so I think this is a question of how to teach my partner or how to teach your partner about what you like. And I think, or I would just say it straight out, communication. I think that is the absolute biggest thing is communicating, communicating what you like, what you don't like, um, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. Um, I feel like that is vital to having a great sex life. And I think that there are often times where many women have been told or they see in movies or they see in porn that it is not good to speak up and just to allow your partner to do whatever and to go down on you and to have sex with you um, in different ways that make them feel good, but th that doesn't make you necessarily feel good. And um, it is about communicating and it's about speaking up. Like it really is about speaking up for what you like. And if something doesn't feel good, then say it. And I think that many people think that it is going to be um, bad or it's going to mess up the mood. Um, and I think that that is the, it's quite the opposite. When both people are feeling good, when both people are getting pleasure out of sex, I think that heightens the experience. If some, if one person is getting enjoyment and the other person is not, um, because they're so concerned about what this other partner is going to say, um, then I think that that really does that person that's not speaking up a disjustice or an injustice, I'm sorry, um, an injustice. And everyone is, um, everyone is, has access to and is worthy of absolute pleasure, like everyone. And I will tell you this fun fact uh, that you can use at dinner parties and such. Um, but uh, the clitoris uh, on a woman's body um, is only made, was only, there's only one function to the clitoris and that is for pleasure. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't, uh, you know, uh, do anything for the baby in any way. It doesn't do anything for, essentially it doesn't have any other function besides pleasure. So why not use it for good and allow yourself to get pleasure by speaking up with your partner and asking for what you want. 
Um, I think the way for better orgasms, if it is not a um, a medical thing going on, but a, a quicker way for orgasms is really to first know what you want. So know what feels good to you. And so I am a big proponent on masturbation and self-pleasure because that is really where you get to know yourself um, and then how it can be communicated with another partner. So the second part of it is communicating and speaking up on what you want. And I can say it's not always the easiest thing. It isn't, but it's completely, completely worth it. And I would like to say a quote that goes uh, perfectly with this um, by Neil Donald Walsh, which says that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And for my friends that are listening, they're going to crack up because they know I always say this, but I be I believe it 100%. Like you, you can't be comfortable in any situation. And the more that you get out of that comfort, um, the more possibilities that can happen because you haven't tried it. Um, So I would say the biggest thing and the best thing that you can do for yourself in your pleasure is to speak up and ask for what you truly want. And it's not considered bossy and it's not considered um, like you're commanding them. Uh, It really is to help your pleasure, which is 100% worthy, um, just like their pleasure is 100% worthy. So um, yes, you can use quotes for sex. Okay, so the uh, last question is, how can you begin to please someone you like who's dominant in bed if you've never tried it? Hmm. Well, um, I think that it's, again, it comes to communication. Um, If you have never tried it, I think what is also good um, is games right before sex. Like, you know, there's an evening that you guys have set aside and you may want to try new things and you can look up online sex games, or you can look up, you know, questions that you can ask your partner to uh, maybe open the door for asking questions that you really want to um, get answered or that you want to try and explore. Um, I think games is a really good way of doing that. And so uh, I would say uh, to the person that um, their partner is dominant in bed, but they want to be dominant in bed, maybe try some games, try some things that are, um, you know, asking questions, opening up to each other and asking, being more bold in asking for what you want. You want to be dominant. You want to be on top or you want to, whatever it may be, um, asking and not being afraid to ask. And I think that what would be good would be uh, a game. 
and to incorporate things that I am doing now in books that I am reading that was uh, recommended to me by um, a coach of mine, Sierra Sullivan, um, is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. And it's a great book. It is a short book, um, really easy read. And what one of the things says is don't take anything personally. Um, So I bring that to the bedroom and don't take anything personally. So even if you were to ask and you're nervous about asking and you finally say something, hey, I want to have anal sex and your partner looks at you like, what? (laughs) Don't be upset or nervous because uh, their response is usually uh, because of their experiences and not of yours. So, um, um, so don't be afraid to ask because uh, what the outcome, it could be really good um, or it can not be good. Uh, but the big thing from the four agreements is to not take it personally. So with that being said, um, I just wanted to do a short and sweet episode and answer some questions. Uh, but I do want to encourage uh anyone that is listening or everyone that is listening um, to contact us, email us, Facebook us, Instagram, all at the same handle, Viva La Vulva LA. um, Yeah, LA. And then to email us, it is info at Viva La Vulva LA.org. So please email us, contact us in some way. Um, And if you are liking the podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends about it. So I thank you for joining me today on the Viva La Vulva podcast. Bye.